Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Praise God. This is lesson number six on prayer. Jesus is teaching on prayer. And so just for a quick review before we get into our text tonight, we're talking about the Lord's Prayer in response to the disciples asking him to teach them how to pray because they saw how effective he was in prayer. And of course, he taught the Lord's Prayer. And in that prayer, it's a prayer which is a model prayer based on principles, certain principles. And it starts with the principle of praise, ends with the principle of praise, and in between it's all about us. He talked about give us. Forgive us, lead us, deliver us. But in the beginning, praise to God. And at the end, praise to God. So the first principle is the principle of praise. And we talked about how he's our father. He's in heaven. We're appealing to the highest authority in all the universe. He sees all, knows all. He's above all. Hallowed be your name. Means his name is holy. To be honored as being holy. To be reverenced and respected highly. And we do. The second one was a principle of petition. Every petition is, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In other words, it's within the framework of the will of God. We want God's will to be established and done on earth as it is in heaven. And then the petition of uh, provision. Providing for us all that we need on a daily basis. Give us this day our daily bread. Daily supply of all that we need. The air that we breathe, water that we drink, the clothes that we wear, the money that we have, all the resources that he's given us. As well as a roof over our head and and then spiritually speaking as well, all that we need, strength that we need, wisdom, knowledge, understanding, ability, direction, etc. All those things we need on a day-by-day basis. And then we talked about the um, principle of pardon. Forgive us our debts, our loans that we cannot pay, that's impossible for us to pay. As we forgive our debtors. And we saw last week that if we don't, then he says, then you're going to be turned over to the tormentor. He's going to torment you because you've been, you've been forgiven a $52 million debt. And you won't forgive someone who owes you $15. And based on $4 a day, it would take you 35,000 years to pay off your debt. Imagine that. It's impossible. But if you made $4 a day, a $15 debt, you can pay off in four days. Make 16 bucks, just give it all. So you won't forgive. And if you don't forgive, then your father won't forgive you. And it'll turn you over to the tormentor. And some people say, well, you don't know what they did to me. Well, it doesn't matter what they did to you. You're to forgive. It's the principle. Forgive as you've been forgiven. That's the principle. Let God deal with what they did. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Amen? And then we talked about what we're going to talk about tonight. The principle of protection. I could have called it prevention as well. But it's the principle of protection and prevention. So look in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 13. But look at the first part of it, the A part of it. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's our text. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, Without question, it's one of the most difficult passages, I think, for people to understand in the Bible based on Matthew 4 and verse 1. In Matthew 4 and verse 1, we are told that Jesus was led by the Spirit where into the wilderness for what reason to be tempted by the devil well if the spirit's leading him into temptation why would he say 
lead us not into temptation. And it's been so difficult that even the Pope had to change the wording of it. He changed it to let us not fall into temptation. So he's kind of changed the prayer around. But we're going to offer to you some helpful observations, I believe, that will help us clarify exactly what he's talking about. So look in your, start with Matthew once again, chapter 4, verse 1. Who, first of all, is the tempter? We're going to decide that. Who is the tempter? Look at verse 1. Jesus was led up of the spirit that the woman was to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. So who's the tempter? The devil is. Look at First Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 5. He is the tempter. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to you to, to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. So the tempter we know is the devil. He's the one that tempts people, tests, tries, etc. But then, who does God is the question, the next question, tempt people with evil. Look in James chapter 1. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say, when I, or when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Notice these things here, he's stating. To endure temptation actually means to remain firm under the pressure of a temptation. So if a person is to remain firm under a pressure of a temptation, is God putting the pressure on that person? No, he's not. It's the enemy who puts pressure on individuals to do what? To do something wrong, to act out of line, to commit sin, and to ignore the word of God. And then also the word drawn away. It means to lure. It means to coax. It means to bait, to draw someone away. The enemy is the one who draws people away. Look in Acts chapter 5. We see this very clearly stated in the life of Ananias and Sapphira. To lure away. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thy own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Who put the pressure on him to lie? Who's the one that put the pressure on him, or coaxed him, or lured him, or baited him to do something that was wrong in the sight of God? Certainly wasn't God setting him up. It was the devil who tempted him by suggesting certain things he should have not listened to and should have not done. So we understand it's that. It's not God who is soliciting anybody to do evil. He cannot be tempted with evil. He tempts no man with evil. The tempter is the enemy. And he's the one that draws people away from the right thing to get them to do the wrong thing. Now, does God lead us into temptation is the next question. Well, if you go back to the very beginning and you see God placing man in the garden... He placed him in the garden to be what? Tested. To test whether or not he would be loyal to him. Yes, he placed him in that place 
But God is not the one to put the pressure on him to do something that was wrong. He's not the one that solicited him to do something that was evil. As a matter of fact, I understand in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, you know, God talked with him in the, every day in the cool of the day. I don't think the subject, the discussion was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But someone else was there that came along and made some suggestions about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So did God place them in that place of testing or proving? Sure he did. But it was a perfect environment. In a perfect place. But he had to have them prove their loyalty. And there's a difference between proving your loyalty and putting pressure on someone to commit sin. So we know Satan was the one who was involved in putting the pressure on them, baiting them, soliciting them to do sin or to do evil. But then also, you've got uh, the Israelites. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. The Israelites came out of Egypt. And when they came out of Egypt, they were placed in a wilderness. Now I want you to see this. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to, to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of the Lord does a man live. So God placed them in the wilderness when they came out. They were going to trek all the way into the, the promised land. But once again, they had to prove their faith. Now, when they were in the wilderness, did God put pressure on them, soliciting for them to do evil? Absolutely not. But in that place in the wilderness, there were circumstances that arose, physical needs that arose. They were hungry, they were thirsty, etc., etc. There were armies, there were uh, enemies that were out there as well. But once again, it was not God doing anything like soliciting them to do evil. He wasn't tempting them to do evil. He wasn't baiting them, luring them or co uh, coercing them or coaxing them in any way. So I think people think in their minds sometimes that they're going through a situation that God put me in this situation and it's a pressure situation and all that. And he's behind all this. He's not behind it. You may be in the perfect will of God in a certain situation. Maybe he placed you in that certain situation, but it, it's not him who's putting pressure on you to get you to fall. When I was sent off to school in Ramah in Oklahoma, it wasn't an easy situation, but I knew that's where God wanted me to be. And in that place, it was up to me to do my part to stand against, stand firm against any pressure put upon my life to walk away from what God called me to do. Who does that? The enemy does. Whether it's in a marital relationship, in a family, in a job, in a workplace or whatever, there'll always be the enemy coming along to bait people, to lure people, to solicit people to do wrong. But it's not God. He's not the one that's behind that. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 2. And sometimes this verse is kind of overlooked. But look at what it says. There are 11 days journey from Horeb to the way of Mount Seir and to Kadesh Barnea. How many days? How long did it take? <laughs> I heard as slow as Moses, but this, this kind of tops that, I think. <laughs> wow. 11 days, it took 40 years to trek. But what were they doing? Spinning their wheels. What were they doing? They were in that wilderness. Why? Because they failed, you see, to cooperate with God. 
to do it God's way, and that's human nature. Now look, it's the enemy that uses our flesh to draw us away. He knows our weaknesses uh, by our actions, by our behavior. He knows how to set up situations to get us into anger or jealousy or strife and that sort of thing or confusion. And so we have to recognize that we've got an enemy out there. It's not God who's putting pressure on us to do anything wrong. And your situation that you might be in, you could be in the perfect will of God, but it will not be God who's putting pressure on you to find out whether or not he can mold you into something like, you know, from coal to a diamond. It's the enemy who's coming along to steal, to kill, to destroy, to entice us, to walk away from God. Anything that's not our faith is what? Sin. And that's what he wants us to do, walk away from our faith. Now, the garden, the mountain, the wilderness, those are places where God's people were, including Jesus. But God was not doing anything to get them to do wrong. It was the devil himself that was doing his part. For example, in the life of Jesus, up there on that mount of temptation, we call it. He was tempted in all points like as we are, but without sin. And in all three realms, in that place of testing, just like the first Adam was in a place of testing, he was led by the Spirit to this place of testing. In that place of testing, he had the devil come like to him, just like he came to Adam and Eve. And in all three realms, spirit, soul, and body, starting with the physical body, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus said, it is written. He stood against that with the word. And then when he said, to cast yourself down, because the angels of God will pick, bear you up in their hands. He said, you don't tempt the Lord your God. Well, if you fall down and worship me, I'll give you all this that I have that's been given to me. He said, it's only God that we worship. So you can see he sets the example for us to overcome and stand against temptation. And even though he was in that place of temptation, he didn't have to be yielded to the temptation. It was up to him to know the word of God, declare the word of God, proclaim the word of God and stand against it and not fall victim to the pressure placed on him to commit sin against God. Now, look at this verse in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 boundaries I called it boundaries and escape routes boundaries and escape routes God is the one who sets up boundaries and he's the one that provides escape routes when it comes to temptation he's not the one again putting pressure on us to tempt us to do evil there hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So God is faithful. Number one, what does he do? He sets up boundaries that the enemy cannot cross over. He cannot tempt us with anything outside of that which is common to man. This is not interpreted like some people interpret it. I think you remember me being at school in Ramah in Oklahoma, and this person asked me to minister to this young lady who has really walked away from God because she experienced or encountered a temptation that was beyond her control. And she said, I've been told that God wouldn't give me anything more than I can handle. Her baby died. And because her baby died, she walked away from God. She said, that's it. I won't serve him anymore for the rest of my life. She thought that God was the one put, having this happen to put pressure on her to see whether, whether or not she, he, she would serve him. And there were actually preachers that told her that God just needed your baby in heaven. Which is ridiculous. You could have the baby throughout eternity. Why would he 
deny the child the right to live on the earth. But you see, she was told that. And because of that, she said, I will not serve God ever again. And I sat down with her at length and tried to talk to her and just say, look, it's the enemy who steals, kills, and destroys. God is not the one who set up the situation for you. He had nothing to do with this situation at all. It's the enemy. He's the one that does it. And I did my best to persuade her, to show her, ask God to open up her eyes that she could clearly see. And I believe I gave a thorough, thorough teaching on what's of God and what's of the devil so that she can make a decision that she's going to walk with God and serve God. And I pray that she did. To this day, I don't know whether or not she made that decision because she left. She said, I'll think about it. And I was at school and working and all that. Never saw her again. Prayerfully, she made a right choice and decision that she would come back to God and realize that it wasn't God that was doing it. In other words, she was thinking that God put her through this trial to see whether or not she would remain faithful. And that's absolutely absurd. God does not do that. No, that's not good. It doesn't come from God. Every good and perfect is from, is from God. But if you're not taught right, my people perish for what reason? Lack of knowledge. God will make a way of escape. So Satan's methods are limited. He sets up, God sets up boundaries for the devil. He cannot go beyond human experience. He can't go beyond things that are common to man and begin to use these unseen forces that are out there that are in that realm of darkness against us. That wouldn't be any fair. He can tempt us, test us, and try us with only things that are common to man. He can tempt you with jealousy, anger. He can tempt you with pride and arrogance. He can tempt you with pornography and, and other illicit things. But he can't use something beyond this realm or that which is common to man to tempt, test, or try you. God will not allow that. But God will provide an escape route. He'll make a way of escape. And so look at Second Peter in chapter 2 and verse 9. He will make a way of escape. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Wouldn't it be absurd to think that God was leading us to a place of temptation so he can deliver us out of temptation? Well, if that's the case, then why go in at all? Okay, he delivers the godly out of temptation. And he knows how to do it. And so he makes means or ways of escape so that God's people can be protected from it. But we have a part to play in it. And what is that part? Look at the next point. What do we have to do? We have to pray. Watch and pray. Look at these verses, this, this verse in Matthew 26 and 41. Watch and pray. Why? that you enter not into temptation the spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak so if you think about this on a day by day basis a daily basis which this prayer is based on a daily basis give us this day our daily bread all that we need today we need to have the strength to overcome temptation or not to enter into temptation to prevent ourselves from entering temptation and how do we do that by watching and praying so it's up to us to do our part like Jesus said be watchful and be prayerful why so that we don't give in to temptation so that we don't enter into it and give into it so be watchful and prayerful and that's exactly what Jesus did he went apart to pray because he knew he was about to encounter 
And so he went and he prayed. He did it every single day. If Jesus needed to be watchful and prayerful every day, where does that leave us? Don't we have to be watchful and prayerful every single day? But look at this verse. I don't know if you ever saw this verse before. It's from the New Living Translation of the Bible. Psalm 119, verse 133. This could be a companion verse to our main text, Matthew 6, 13. Actually, the whole verse. Notice what it says. Guide my steps by your word, so I will not be overcome by evil. You can almost hear it reverberating. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. So you could say that he was saying, guide me daily by your word. Why? So I will not be overcome by evil. Don't lead me into temptation. Could be said, guide me by your word. So when I make right decisions and right choices, as I'm guided by the word of God, I can avoid certain situations and temptations. I can be protected from all that is evil. It's important that we recognize that we have an enemy out there. Doesn't like us one bit. Wants to destroy our lives. And we need to be alert, we're told, watchful. Why? Because Peter said, your adversary as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may and whom he may means whoever gives him permission to devour well how does one give permission to devour now remember this when Jesus was attacked by the enemy or tempted by the enemy those three times on the mount of temptation the Bible says the devil left him and he was coming back looking for a more opportune time what time do you think would be an opportune time Maybe when there was no time of prayer, no time of Bible study or being in the word or being watchful and prayerful. Here's a perfect time to attack that person, to tempt that person is when that person is not alert, watchful and prayerful. So guide me today by your word and deliver me from all that is evil. Lead me not into temptation but deliver me from what is evil. So in that prayer, our Father, relationship, you're in heaven, highest authority. I honor your name today. Hallelujah. I reverence your holy name today. You're Jehovah God. You're El Shaddai, Elohim, Yahweh. Jesus, your name's above every name. Until your kingdom comes, this day today that I'm awake, I stand for your will to be done in earth as it is in heaven. Not only in my life, but through my life to accomplish your will in the lives of others as you make me a vessel of honor to represent you here. That I can go and lead somebody to Jesus or lay hands on somebody for them to get healed, delivered, and set free. Give me today all that I need. Because you know what I know I need? Everything, every single day. I need the energy, the strength, ability. I need, obviously, food, shelter, and clothing, etc., etc., all those material things that we need. Uh, I'm here to receive it from you today. Give me this day. Even a word, daily bread, could be a daily word spoken to me from your heart to may, maybe lead me, direct me, or guide me throughout the course of this day. I want to hear from heaven today. Forgive me any debt. 
Forgive me of anything that I do that displeases you in any way as I forgive others. And if I understand that comparison, I realize I've been forgiven so much. I don't even have the right to hold a grudge. I'll be honest with you. It really shakes me when I hear of Christians saying, I will never forgive him or never forgive her for what they did. And I'm thinking, really? That's a shallow understanding of forgiveness. You've been forgiven so much and you don't realize it. You would be lost through eternity in a lake of fire if it were not for the forgiveness that's come by the grace of God through Jesus Christ and he shed blood upon Calvary. But yet you're saying you're going to hold that against that person. Doesn't matter how severe it is, no matter what they did. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Let him take care of it. So forgive me as I forgive others. And if I don't forgive, he says, then you won't be forgiven. You'll be turned over to the tormentor. I'll be honest with you. A lot of believers are really tormented because they're not forgiving people. They're holding grudges against people. You say, well, what about I'll, I'll forgive but not forget? That's not, what, that's not how he forgave us. God doesn't forget. Did you know that? But he chooses not to remember. He chooses not to remember. Do you know that forgetting is a choice? I choose to forget what you did to me. Someone says, I can never forget it. Well, then choose to forget it. Make it a choice. I decide. I choose. I will not bring that up. I will not hold that up to you. I refuse to do so. Why? Because I have been forgiven this huge debt that I could never repay. This loan of $52 million I have been forgiven. Who am I not to forgive you? I forgive. And if you'll be that merciful and forgiving towards somebody else, then God will be that same way towards you. And then, today, guide me by your word. Deliver me from every evil way. In other words, point the path that I should take so I can avoid temptation and avoid things that are evil. Now, God wills our deliverance. Notice Galatians chapter 1, from all that is evil. This is the will of God. We'll make that very clear. Paul the Apostle, writing, of course, by the inspiration of Jesus, says this. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Our deliverance from every evil in this world is the will of God our Father. And it took Jesus, the Son, to come to the earth and make that provision for us. So it's his will that we be delivered. Now, in John 17, this is called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And if we really were to teach on all the things that Jesus taught about prayer, we're going to be a wow. Because he taught a whole lot more than what we're talking about. Six or seven lessons on prayer. He taught a whole lot. In John 17, this is called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And in this chapter 17, look at verse 15, what he said. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep or protect them from the evil. God does not want evil having any rule over our lives. As a matter of fact, 
we've received the abundance of grace so we can reign in life by one Christ Jesus. It is God wants us through the grace of God and righteousness to reign in life by one Christ Jesus. So by the power and authority of his name we're to reign over all that is evil, cast out devils and, and all that he said that we would do. But he wants us delivered from evil. Jesus prayed for our protection from evil. Evil is not to overcome us. But we're to overcome evil. So he prayed for our protection. But look at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 18. As to, and it shows why. He understood temptation. He understands temptation. And even though. Maybe he didn't live in a fallen body like we have. But on that cross his body became mortal and subject to death. And that's when he experienced all that we go through. And as a result look at what it says. For in that he himself have suffered, have suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Because he suffered. He understands, he can empathize with every single one of us when we go through a trial or a temptation, when the enemy is coming along to put pressure upon us to do wrong. He understands that and he knows that because he suffered it himself on the cross. He knows the feelings and the emotions that you and I go through all the time. He's relating to those. And so, what has he done? He empathized with us. He understands it. But look at uh, chapter look, look at the amplified version of this first. For because he himself in his humanity has suffered in being tempted, tested, and tried he is able immediately to run to the cry of assist, relieve those who are being tempted and tested and tried and who therefore are being exposed to suffering. He runs to the aid because he understands what it's like to be under the powers of the enemy. And so he runs to our aid. And I want you to see these next verses here because they're so very much important. In Hebrews chapter 4 beginning in verse 14 Jesus our Lord is the high priest of the new and everlasting covenant. And because of that, we have his rep representation on high. And we can go to him and through him to the Father to get whatever it is that we need. Look at verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession or our confession or declaration. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Do you know there's only one that's ever was tempted, but yet without sin? You and I, we miss the mark. We sin. We fall short, don't we? Anybody ever have a failure? You fail one of the tests? Sure, we've all failed at one point but he has never failed he is without sin let us therefore notice the word therefore what's it there for because he was tempted tested and tried like you and I are yet without sin let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain two things mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. These two forces are so important to all of us. Mercy is offered when we fail. Grace 
is offered to prevent us from failing. Mercy says, don't look at me, look at Jesus. He never failed. Have mercy upon me because of Jesus. Grace says, empower me so that next time I don't fail, but I succeed in rising up above the temptation or the situation that the enemy puts the pressure on me to do or to commit. So it's essential, it's important that we understand our need daily to have these, these two resources in our lives. His mercies are renewed once a week, once a month, once a year. No, how often? Daily, because we need mercy and we need grace every single day of our lives. So when we miss the mark, praise God, we can go to the throne of grace, having a high priest who's touched with the feeling of our infirmities, who's been tempted, tested, and tried, but yet without sin. But then when he became our sin on the cross, he then understood completely what it was like to live in a fallen body like we have. He became mortal and subject to death. He took upon himself everything and all things that you and I would ever go through. So he knows. He can empathize with us. So when we go to there for mercy, we can say, and Jesus, go to the Father for me. Provide mercy for me. And the Father looks at Jesus, not us. You've never failed. You never, never gave in under the pressure of temptation. What does he do? He imputes that to our lives through mercy. And listen to this. Unto the merciful, God will show himself merciful. Unto the upright, God will show himself upright. But to the froward, God will show himself to be froward. What's he saying? What we sow is what we reap. It's the principle. If I show mercy, I'll obtain mercy. If I don't show mercy, I won't receive mercy, even though it's been provided for. So it's important that we recognize every single day we have a need. Father, you know what lies ahead of me today. But it's up to us to be watchful and prayerful like Jesus said. You know what lies ahead of me today. Why did he tell that to his disciples? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Because I know the spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Can anybody understand that? Can anybody agree to that? Sure. On the inside, boy, we can just run through a troop and leap over a wall. Then we got this flesh on the outside to contend with. It wants to do its own thing and have its own way. So it's up to us daily to incorporate this into our prayer life. Father, I know it's another wonderful day. I know you're the highest authority in all the universe. I'm here to just honor you and thank you for your holy name. I'm here to establish your will in my life and through my life. I thank you for a daily portion of all that I need, spiritually, emotionally, physically, financially. For this day, one day sufficient. I'm not concerned about tomorrow. I'm concerned about today. Forgive me if anything throughout the course of this day that I might do to displease you. Have mercy upon my soul. And Father, guide me by your word today. Guide me by your truth today. Why? So I can avoid temptation and not be overcome by evil. Hallelujah. So what is this part of the prayer about? That very thing. 
I recognize my need every single day of my life for God to guide me by his word. To direct and order the steps of my life. To keep me from stumbling. His eyes were upon us to keep us from stumbling. He neither slumbers nor sleeps to keep us from stumbling. He knows what lies ahead of us. And I do believe he wants to warn us. Don't you? That you fall not into temptation and be overcome by evil. Then the last part, because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We'll talk about that next week. But every single one of us has a daily needs. And that's why it's called our daily bread and our daily supply. We need the anointing every day. The holy oil of God every day. But you know what? We've got to sow it to reap it. And how do we do that? In prayer. Being watchful. Studying the word of God. Amen. Let's all stand together before the Lord.